Hi, it's Jess Fisher. You're listening to episode six of Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, the educator's version, where we explore some of the signs featured in the story. Keep listening to the end of this episode to hear me and Nate Dufort talk about a very specific type of grasshopper with Dr. Rick Overson, research scientist at Arizona State University and co-director of the Global Locust Initiative. Chapter 6, Doggo. Swim, 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 a rushing river to be crossed. At the rock, 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 keep to the right or you'll get lost. You got that? It's the next verse. We gotta keep an eye out for the rock, rock, rock. Not sure how we'll know which rock it is, but just stay alert. We don't want to get lost. As we floated down the massive river through huge mountain walls and flat plains, the dog kept his distance. Well, as much distance as you can on a raft. We may have howled together, but he still didn't trust me. A couple of times, I thought I heard a distant siren and the dog looked behind us and growled. What is it? Is someone back there? I worried that Whistler and his regulators might have caught up to the raft, but if they were following, they never got close enough for me to see them. After a while, I almost forgot that someone was after us. All I could think about was where we were going. It really is beautiful, huh? Who knew the world was this big? I watched the shore drift by and imagined what it was like when buffalo and deer roamed across the land, when birds flew overhead and fish swam in the river. And when the sun went down, the night sky above us was as sparkly as the water below. Mom? Dad? Are you up there somewhere? Can you believe where I am? Did you know this would happen someday? That I'd be an agent? Like you. I wish I knew where I was going, or what to do if I get there. A map would be nice. Instead, all I have is a song. Our song. One, two, three. How many animals do I see? (laughs) Right now, one. One snoring dog. I'm sorry for trusting Aunt Callie, but she was... Hey! Wake up! Look, it's a shooting star. Come on, I know you're a dog, but don't you think the sky is amazing? I found an old book in a science classroom once about the stars. How they form shapes, constellations, the ancients called them. Some of them make the shape of animals, like those ones over there. That's a bear, I think. And there's a smaller bear next to it. (laughs) Want to know something crazy? That really bright one over there 
is called the Dog Star. And it's part of the great dog in the sky. Some stories say that after humans ruined the earth, all the animals ended up in the sky. Okay, never mind. Maybe that's what Haven's like. Bears and dogs and every animal you can imagine. All living next to each other. Maybe taking you to Haven is like putting the stars back on Earth. The days started to blend together. The rushing water, the emptiness of the landscape. Sometimes it felt like the dog and I were the only ones left in the world was a scary thought, because he wasn't even nice to me. Rise and shine, Furball! Sorry for splashing you, but we need to wash your paw in the river, and then we can use the cleanser the librarian gave us. I know it stings, but I'm trying to help you. Okay, look. We're on this raft together. I am not going anywhere. And you are definitely not going anywhere, since you're afraid of the water. I know you don't understand what I'm saying, but according to the song and the librarian, what we're doing is important. Like, world-changing important. So we need to find a way to work as a team. You and me. Now here's the bad news. You're going to have to learn to swim. Even the song says it, you know, swim, swim, swim. The good news is, that's the part I'm actually good at. I can teach you because I'm an excellent swimmer. But you have to promise not to bite me if I get you wet, okay? Here, let's take it slow. We'll try putting one paw in the water first. See, that's what I'm talking about. Just because you're the soft and shiny last of your kind doesn't mean you get to be rude. And don't think I didn't notice you trying to eat more than your share of the food. <sighs> okay, how about a bribe? This jar of tasty, tasty root mash is all yours. If you get your head wet. Look, I'll show you. See? Wet hair. Don't care. And watch this. I can jump in and hold on to the raft. Relax, I told you I'm not going anywhere. That's it, dog. Go, dog, go, doggo. Huh. I've been thinking you could use a name. How do you feel about doggo? Well, I like it. And since you can't talk, I'm going to assume you like it too. From now on, I'm calling you Doggo. Yeah, Doggo. I quite agree. You don't say, Doggo. <laughs> what is it, Doggo? Look forth in the river and look in the middle. The huge rock. The rock, rock, rock from the next verse of the song. Keep to the right or you'll get lost. Oh, it's coming fast. 
And we're all the way near the left bank. We need to get to the right. I held onto the raft and kicked as hard as I could. But the current was too strong. It swept us left and down the wrong fork of the river. I missed it. Keep going or you'll get lost. And now... And now who knows where we're at? What now? Ew, what is that? Some kind of giant bug? I've never seen anything like... Uh, where are they all coming from? Wait, I remember reading about these. How they would destroy farmers' crops. Lock, loke, locusts! Oh, uh, why is that cloud buzzing? It's not a cloud. It's a swarm. And that one is flying straight at us. Get down! Locusts swarm the raft, tearing into our supplies. And us. Ow! Get off of me! The insects ripped at Doggo's fur, nipping at his ears and nose, and at my skin. Oh no! Our food! Doggo! Get us alive! Come on! We have to jump into the water. I know you're scared, Doggo. Look at me. I got you. Ow! I promise I won't let you go. Ow! Promise I won't let you go. I won't let you drown, okay? Now, we jump together. Come on. Trust me. That's it. I stuffed the bottle with the librarian's cleanser into my pocket and put my arm around Doggo. I got you. Ready? And... Jump! I held him as tightly as I could and swam away from the raft. Doggo struggled against me at first, but when he realized I wasn't letting go, he stopped fighting and started to paddle. You're doing it! You're swimming! Keep going! That's it! Swim! Yes, Doggo! Paddle! You got it! Don't stop! Behind us, the swarm was picking apart what was left of our supplies and finally tore into the raft until it sank. But Doggo was swimming, all the way to the shore. <coughs> we made it! We made it, Doggo! We made it! setting on a beach littered with broken glass and hunks of rusty metal, pieces of boats and old clothes. Wherever we'd washed up, it seemed like a whole lot of other stuff from the river had washed up here too. Well, Doggo, here we are, wrong fork of the river. <laughs> Lost, just like the song said. 
makes you wonder how we're gonna jump, jump, jump from water walled off to the sand. If we can't find it. Doggo? Doggo? Oh, come on, Doggo, where are you? Doggo? Really? I saved your life. I risked my life to save your life. I pulled a tunnel down on our heads. I dropped down a well in a basket. I battled a swarm of locusts. I I gave you three quarters of the root mash and now you just leave? No goodbye? No see ya in Haven? Child and dog will cross the land. Does that sound familiar? <sighs> what am I doing? Okay, he, he can't have gotten that far. I brushed off the mud from my clothes and climbed up some rocks to start looking for Doggo. Doggo! I had no idea how I was going to find him. Where'd you go? In the dark. I see in a wild, you. rocky terrain where I'd Doggo. never been before. Doggo! I tried being sweet. Here, Doggo. You I tried being mean. Doggo! You get back here right now or you'll be sorry. I tried lying. Doggo, I have some delicious tomatoes for you. Yummy, yummy. I even tried acting. Ow, I think my, I broke my leg. But Doggo was Help, gone. please. Really gone. And with him went everything. What were you thinking, Iowa? You're not an agent of the animals. Callie fooled you your whole life. You certainly aren't some savior. You couldn't even pick the right fork in the river. You don't know how to get back on track or how to find the water walled off to the sand. And now you've lost the dog. Just a hopeless kid with a crooked foot and an apple core. Lying there on the jagged ground were the Doggo. remains of an apple, but not rotted, eaten. There must be more. I Come dropped on. to the ground and crawled on my hands and knees, hoping to find more scraps. Hoping to find... Another apple core! Yes! I kept Got crawling it. and found another, another core. <laughs> then another. And another. Doggo must one. have somehow found an entire tree of apples. With each core I found, I felt my hope returning. They were going to lead me straight to Doggo and back on the path to... The path... By the fourth or fifth core, a thought hit me. The way the apple cores were left on the ground, Doggo never left anything behind. Wait, this isn't a trail Doggo left behind. It's a trail someone left for him to follow. Dog? Hey, night kid. Welcome to Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, the educator's version, where we dig into the actual science behind the episodes of Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog. I'm Nate Dufort, who some of you may know from the shows Unspookable and Reach, a space podcast for kids. And with me, as always, from Gen Z Media and Six Minutes Rewind, is Jess Fisher. Hey, Jess. Buzz. I'm a locust. <laughs> Hi, Nate. <laughs> so we are going to get to it, Jess. Tell us what happened on the episode. Well, Iowa teaches the dog how to swim and gives him a name, Doggo. Huh, the yes. same name as the episode. Go figure. But when <laughs> Iowa and Doggo take the wrong fork of the river, 
They're attacked by a swarm of locusts that destroys their raft and ravages their supplies. Things only get worse when Iowa loses Doggo and gains a not-so-friendly new acquaintance. I cannot stop thinking about that locust swarm, the amazing sound design. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I'm scared in the moment what's going to happen to them. So totally. today, we're going to talk to Dr. Rick Overson, research scientist at Arizona State University and co-director of the Global Locust Initiative. Dr. Rick Overson, thanks so much for being here today. Sure thing. Happy to be here. So on today's episode, our characters Iowa and Doggo have a run-in with some locusts. But for those of us that don't know, I was hoping you could tell us, what are locusts? There's a lot of confusion surrounding what a locust is, because any insect that tends to come out and surprise everyone in big numbers sometimes gets confused as a locust. But to a biologist, a locust is a special type of grasshopper. Um, they're tough survivors in many of the driest and hottest places on the planet where they normally go completely unnoticed by humans. But when good times come, they respond in this incredibly dramatic way, which is why we care about them. So there's thousands of species of grasshoppers, but only a small handful of those species are considered locusts. And unlike a normal grasshopper, a locust has an amazing ability that's coded like a computer program deep inside its DNA. So a lot of times we think about a gene that might make a giraffe's neck long or the genes that might make somebody's eyes blue. But these are genes of a different type. Instead of coding for a specific trait um, in an animal like that, they allow the organism to do something that we refer to as phenotypic plasticity, which is a complicated way that because scientists like to make up complicated words to define things. It really just means that as you're growing, you can respond to your environment in a very different way, just a single organism. And so this incredible ability lets a locust morph into totally different forms during its lifetime, if and only if the conditions are right. So these right conditions that I mentioned that a locust is waiting for are basically huge amounts of rain, which can come unpredictably in dry areas and turn these dry areas um, where locusts are good at persisting um, all of a sudden turn these dry areas into lush oases filled with plants. And then the locust has this ability to take advantage of that quickly. So the plants produce lots of baby locusts all of a sudden. And when a locust realizes that it's crowded through touch and sight and taste, and there's a lot of other locusts around, that's when it has this ability to sort of turn on these, these secret genes that are inside of it and turn into this entirely different morph. And they can dramatically change color, their brain chemistry changes, their behavior changes, they become attracted to one another, and they start to march in coordinated formations across the landscape. And eventually, as they grow, they grow wings, and then they take to the skies and form these huge swarms and fly in coordinated formations. And this is the sort of form that we think about as a locust. <laughs> what? I had no idea about most of that. So my question now is, what is a locust outbreak and how can they negatively impact humans and vegetation? Yeah, so full disclosure and kind of a fun fact about me, I'm a crazy insect nerd. I've been like in love with insects since I was three years old. I drove my mom nuts, like releasing things that escaped from mayonnaise jars as a child. And I have a background in insect behavior. So one of the things I always try and stress is we're not trying to eradicate locusts from the planet. And locusts don't harm humans directly, I always like to tell people, because I know a lot of 
the listeners um, of this will um, have fears of creepy crawly things and insects like many of us do. So they don't harm humans directly. They don't bite us or they don't even spread disease like other insects and animals do. Um, and they're an intimate part of natural ecosystems and they've been swarming and doing their thing for eons and eons long before humans even had agriculture. But going back even to the time of the Old Testament, um, as many of us may know, um, and the Quran, locusts um, were devastating in that they seemed to come from nowhere and would eat everything in sight. And importantly, today, locusts are very real and these outbreaks are ongoing and occur through large, throughout large areas of the world. And they can have incredibly negative impact on humans, especially in areas where humans still rely directly on food uh, that they grow to survive. Can you tell our listeners a little about your work with the Global Locust Initiative? Yeah, so the Global Locust Initiative at Arizona State University, our location is a little strange um, in that there is no locust species in the United States. There used to be, there's a um, very famous chapter that's forgotten um, of the Rocky Mountain locusts in U.S. history. That's a fascinating read. But right now we don't have a locust species. But what we're doing here at ASU is down in the, the basement of the biology building. We have a big laboratory where we have uh, locust species from around the world. And we have colonies of them. And we're working intimately with researchers here at ASU, a team of people who are trying to understand locust biology especially their nutrition and how their nutrition affects the things that locusts do. So their ability to march and to fly long distances and the things that make them a challenge for humans. So that's one of the hats I have as, a, as an insect researcher. And the other is because these large locust outbreaks are such an incredible challenge, these locust swarms that we're talking about are really hard to exaggerate the size and the scale of these. They, you know, some of these locust species can be the length of a man's index finger. So this is a big size grasshopper. Um, and you'll see clouds that look like giant clouds in the sky that just look like dust uh, filled with hundreds of millions of these locusts fly by for three or four hours. And that's just one cloud of locusts in a larger swarm. And those swarms can travel hundreds of kilometers in within a week easily. And so what is one country's problem on Tuesday can be another's on Thursday. And so because any attempt at sort of trying to manage this challenge more sustainably requires such broad coordination, one of my roles that I have here at the Global Locust Initiative is to work with heads of state in different countries, across cultures, with government officials, biologists, social scientists, and importantly, farmers to find ways to more sustainably manage this problem. Well, thanks again for being here and for telling us all about locusts. Thank you so much, Nate. Appreciate it. I know Dr. Rick Overson said that we as humans individually don't need to fear locusts, but I'm allowed to be afraid of them, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, especially on a global <laughs> level where they can impact like our food resources yeah. and the swarms that can be miles or kilometers in size. That's enormous to see a cloud of grasshoppers coming at you. Uh, well, also, I didn't know that locusts were so special, you know? Jess, come on. We're all special in our own way. <laughs> you 
You're so right. Well, that is it for this episode. We'd like to thank Dr. Rick Overson, research scientist at Arizona State University and co-director of the Global Locust Initiative. To find out even more about locusts, check out the links and resources in this episode's show notes. For more great stories, visit gzmshows.com. It's starting. GZM Shows. Imagination Amplified.